0: One of the things that we really do value around here is families, and this is why we go to this uh, sort of intentional and deliberate element to recognize our kids. Uh, I think that's a valuable part of our community. Uh, they're, as Barb was mentioning, they step into a very uncertain world, and it's up to us to continue to love and equip them so that they can uh, be followers of Christ in a world that's not necessarily leaning that way. So it's uh, thanks Barb and your crew for all that you're doing in terms of our children's ministry. I hope you value that if you have kids and have them down there. They, take, they got some great teachers and staff and uh, it's, a, it's a great ministry that they're doing. I'm gonna invite you to bow with me if you would. We'll just pray before we step into the scriptures. Well Father, we live uh, in your presence all the time. Probably one of our greatest needs is understand the power of your personal presence in our life and as we continue to navigate our lives, as for many stepping into, in a sense, a new season of life as school begins, and uh, we just pray that you would continue to help us look at life through the lens of the gospel, that you would help us to live our life in such a focused manner that uh, we engage life fully and yet we are fully anchored to the gospel of Jesus. Uh, Father, as we look at this this morning and take a step into your scriptures, we finish off this series in relationship to the gospel and ask that you would spark within our hearts that which the Spirit of God would wish to speak to us as individuals and as a body. We just ask for your Spirit to be our teacher this morning and that we would submit to him and allow him to instruct our hearts and minds. For this we pray and entrust our time to you in Christ's name. Amen. We are finishing off a three week series. We started with the idea of preaching the gospel to ourselves. We did that a couple of weeks ago out of Philippians chapter two. Last weekend I had my buddy Sean Garman here talking about the idea of mission and I am finishing off this series before we step back into Romans uh, on, on uh, the whole issue of being ambassadors for Christ. We're gonna be out of Second Corinthians chapter five and I wanna touch on five things that really become critical. As I was doing my research this week, I ran across uh, information. uh, Most of you have probably heard of the Guinness World Record book. When I was a kid, I used to get that thing and look at it and sort of scan through all these weird and wonderful things that people would do uh, in order to set records. Most of it was related to sports and activities that seemed fairly competitive and normal when people would break running records and that kind of thing. But then there's also the weird where people sort of devote themselves to doing the strangest thing that nobody's done just to get into the book. Uh, I ran across uh, this particular gentleman who has more world records than anybody. Uh, His name is Ashrita, and he lives in New York. He has basically made it his life commitment to break and set as many records as possible. Uh, At the last time I read this, he had set over 600 records and currently holds over 200. So his entire life is really bent around this idea of trying to set world records in different kinds of things. Some of them are extremely bizarre. For instance, uh, one of them was the farthest distance trekking, uh, balancing a bike on his chin. Uh, another one that he did was uh, the most fire torches lit and extinguished in one minute. I'm not quite sure the purpose of that, but it certainly, I guess, if nobody's done it, that ends up being a world record. The fastest mile on a pogo stick. The longest time a hula hoop, uh, longest time to hula hoop underwater. The most arrows broken with the neck in one minute. I'm not even quite sure how that works, that one. Um, but he has devoted his life to this process. The statement that I put by his picture was the one that caught me. Over the past three decades, Ashrita has made it his mission to break as many records as he can, eager to prove that anyone with a heartfelt dream and a determined mindset can be recognized by a world-renowned authority. You know, that's kind of our life, isn't it? Everybody on social media and everything else, there's all kinds of people that want to get recognized. They want to leave some kind of legacy, they want to leave some kind of mark that people will think of them, that they'll remember them. I I was listening to the news this morning where there were individuals celebrating the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And we're kind of running into the next generation that when you talk about 9-11, they go, what's that? Because these, as monumental as they are for some of us in our generation, are simply a wisp of an idea to the next one. And so the question is, really, when it comes down to it, is, what, is you li- what are you living for? What do you think will make a difference in where you're living? What kind of legacy that do you and I, does, do we as a church, want to leave behind? Well, for many of us, it's in the business world. We want to build a company, and we want to make an imprint. We want to provide for our family, but there's always this sense that I want to leave a mark. I want to create a brand that people recognize and that becomes popular. Whether it's a world record or not, it may not make the difference, but there, we, we seem compelled that we want to make a difference in this world. There's something in all of us that says, I don't want to just waste my life, I want to make an imprint. And regardless of how terrifying that is for some, we all want to matter. We all want to make some kind of difference, even if it's not comparing it to the world record holders. As we think about this, we, I want to talk to you about what God's going to say it's probably the most significant endeavor that you and I can be engaged in. The problem is, it's one that doesn't always catch our heart, and so it's a, a challenge for us. Let me begin by taking us to 2 Corinthians 5 and reading some of the text that we want to work through briefly this morning, starting in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. Paul writes, "...for the love of Christ controls us or compels us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him for whose sake he died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation." The old has passed away, behold, all uh, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message uh, of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There are five things that I want to briefly touch on this morning. I want to talk about the authority of being an ambassador for Christ, I want to talk about the perspective that a true ambassador lives with. I wanna talk about the priority that we have in terms of being Christ's priority and the motivation and the ministry. There's some of it that's pretty self-evident, but we wanna walk through the pieces. I'll tell you the most challenging part is right near the end, frankly, in terms of where the rubber hits the road in terms of our own life. Some of it may feel informational, but it's the context in which Paul writes to the Corinthians who lived in a very chaotic world themselves. There was all kinds of, everyone does what's right in their own eyes, morality was really self-determined, and they lived under the rule of Rome and other different kinds of despotic kind of God-complex type rulers. And so everybody had an opinion about how they were supposed to live. But Paul comes back to us and he's going to say to the Corinthians, and I believe he says to us very clearly, that the authority for being an ambassador for Christ is the work of Christ. He mentions it really in two places. Uh, if you go back in Second Corinthians 4, he makes a statement. In this case, the God of this world, which we understand to be Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So the first idea of the gospel isn't a good works kind of mentality. It's not just a concept or an idea, it's centered on the person of Jesus. It's about seeing the glory of Christ who is the image of of God. That's one of the big disputes in our world is, was Jesus just another man? He might have been a prophet, he might have been a leader, but the scriptures tell us he is God in the flesh. He is the exact representation and reflection of God. And so if we want to know what God is like, Jesus took to himself visible form as in flesh and blood to reveal to us who he is. Later on in those verses he says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, a, a, a reference uh, to Genesis when talking about creating things, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so it begins with us as he talks about the gospel, as he's talking about this reality, is that he's talking about the gospel. It is, and we need to recognize that we have a personal adversary who's trying to blind people to the reality of God's love for them, and that's the spiritual battle that we're in. And sometimes that feels a little overwhelming, that we see evil and sin and everything seems to be the flood that keeps rising around us. And we seem very overwhelmed, but we don't need to be. Because he who is in us is greater than he that's in the world. We need to understand the power of God is that he ultimately will be victorious, that his redemptive plan will conquer, will be victorious. I know it may sound a little cheesy, but God has pulled us onto the winning side, not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is. And so, in many ways, we have to learn not to fear not to tremble in the face of a world that is disintegrating around us. But there's one huge condition to this. The condition is, very simply, as John 3, 16 would say, those who receive this salvation, who become ambassadors for Christ, are only those who surrender to God through faith in Jesus. That they believe wholeheartedly and with full conviction that Christ died on that cross to satisfy the wrath that we deserve for our sin. And when a person realizes that and that there's no way to be right with God apart from faith in Christ, they surrender and as it were and bow the knee to God by receiving Christ into their life and finding forgiveness of sins, freedom from the wrath of God and being adopted into his family. That becomes the heart of the gospel. And as we begin to think about the work of Christ in terms of what he's done, we also talk about really 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Notice this, it's almost cryptic. For our sake he, being God, made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, the point of the gospel is that none of us are good enough to stand before God and be accepted into his family. We don't belong to his family. We don't, we're not going to go to a better place when we die. We can have all the wishful thinking because people are nice and they did good work so they went to church or whatever it happens to be but that's not the reality that the scriptures talk about. The scriptures make it claim that Christ was made sin and was paid the penalty for that so that those who put faith in Christ now receive the righteousness from Christ so that God says, you're right with me. I'm going to accept you, for, I'm going to accept you because of what my son has done and you're willing to surrender to me through faith in him. Now for many of us, that's the best news ever. You sit here and you can be watching on at home and you could say, hey, I've accepted Jesus. I know the significance of my life. I know that if I die or anything happens to me, I'll immediately go into the presence of paradise and I'll dwell with God forever. And so it lifts a huge weight of pressure off our shoulders for those of us that have put faith in Christ because we know how the story's gonna end for us. There's no wishful thinking, there's no second guessing it, that when we live by faith and walk in with intimacy with God, we know that we are guaranteed to go into the presence of God, into paradise, into heaven, into a better place when we die. But it's only for those who trust him. Now, the problem is, as we've come through a year that has really been rough on people's faith. COVID has all this fear of sickness and death. We've been facing that reality and struggling with how do we navigate it. There's the isolation. People have lost their jobs. People have had to make huge changes in their way they've done life. We have what some would perceive as the the political overreach and trying to understand our freedoms in light of, of being Christians and how do we respond to that. Government handouts that have been so prolific that people don't want to go back to work because I don't need to. I can just live on this. And so you got all kinds of businesses screaming for workers, trying to get them to be employed. They won't do it because I can live better just by the handouts that I'm getting. And in all of that, it's sort of unsettled our world even more. And the problem that we've tended to face when we come to this is that even for many Christians, these kinds of things has run havoc on their faith. I mean, we know it. I'm going to a a church for a couple of days at the end of the week here to help them sort through the the civil war that's going on over the idea of vaccines and, and they're tearing each other apart over masks and other things. So to say that this hasn't really devastated many Christians would be turning a blind eye to the reality. And we've even found in some respects what we call in sort of theological circles, many people have deconstructed their faith. They look at the effort they've put into it, they've looked at the time, what they've had to put up with, the, the unrest even amongst Christians, and they've deconstructed their faith and walked away from it and saying, I don't buy this anymore. There's people that are more my generation who have spent their whole life laboring in church and serving and at the end of their life, and especially through these times, they come at the end of it and kind of going like, I don't know what difference I'm making. And so why bother? So they've they've detached themselves from the idea of organized church, what they call. And so people are deeply unsettled with it. And the philosophical reason we have to deal with is, what difference am I making? What good is it to put all this effort into it and then get shot in the face by another Christian because they don't like the way I'm doing things? Why do we have to put up with this kind of thing? And so we got Christians that are upheaved on all different levels in life. And and this morning I simply want to say, listen, if you want to realign your life to that which God says, this is what is significant, this is what makes an eternal difference, then this is what it comes down to is the person of work of Jesus and being an ambassador for him. It's hard because there's so many things to distract our lives. But as we think about the work of Christ, he makes this statement in these verses, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded that one has died for all, therefore all died. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but the question arises, well, who did Christ really die for? I mean, if Christ died for all, how do you, how do you interpret that? Well, there's some options where you get individuals who, if, and these would be tend to more of a Calvinistic theology, but they'd say, well, if Christ died only for those that are the elect, that God, back before everything started, made a choice, and he picks some individuals, and, and those are the only ones, and Christ literally died just for those people and nobody else. It doesn't provide a lot of inspiration to share the gospel, in my opinion. And, and, and that becomes its own issue, But then you get the universalists, the the people who say, oh, well, Christ died, and so he, he died for every single person, and because he died, everyone is gonna go to heaven. It doesn't matter whether you believe in Jesus or you go to church or anything. Everyone's going there. You just gotta try to do your best to be a nice person. And there are lots of church systems out there that that's the framework, is everyone's gonna get to go to heaven. Well, except for a couple like really, really nasty people who we don't want in our own family, so they don't get to go. But every, other than that, everyone gets to go. The other side, you might have heard it, is kind of more of an Arminian view, where it says, well, boy, if God chose people and then they're the only ones that are gonna believe, that doesn't make sense. So the people who are believed, then God says, okay, well then I'll choose you. Sounds like it's kind of rubber stamping something when you've got nothing going on, but that's the other side of it. My basic statement here, not to get, lost in it but i believe christ died for everyone the whole world that his death is is in a sense unlimited it's for every human being that has lived and will live but it's limited the effects the benefits of it are only going to be for those who put faith in christ it's not about believing in a god it's surrendering to the fact that christ died for you and for the sin and the judgment you deserve and christ becomes the centerpiece of the gospel If you try to do an end run around Jesus in any way, I can say based on the authority of God's word, you will not get to heaven. You will not be forgiven. You will not be part of God's family because Christ is the centerpiece of all of God's redemptive plan. And so we can live with that and we can enjoy the benefits of it, but it's only because of the severity of what it costs Jesus to pay for the depth of our sin and the evil that pervades our life. Now, I know for some of us, we grew up in a, if we grew up in a Christian home and accepted Jesus when we were four or five, you know, we think our worst sin was, as I've shared with you before, stealing the tree from my neighbor's yard to give to my mom as a present and then having her make me take it back and apologize for it. I was devastated. Believe me, I've got worse stuff than that going on. I'm just using it as an example. But the danger would be, as some of us go, yeah, I'm pretty good, I don't feel the weight of all the sin and evil in my life because I've tried to live a pretty clean life. You take someone who's had enough collateral damage to sink the Titanic in their life and they understand God's forgiveness on a whole different level than some of us who have kind of lived squeaky clean lives and tried to do it right. But the simple fact uh, that I've mentioned before is your best resume will always land you in hell apart from Christ. And we need to feel that, but when he says here is uh, very simple. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh, we don't think about him that way anymore. Now that sounds pretty cryptic, but I believe the very simplicity of this statement really is: is that Christ was human. We knew Christ according to the flesh because he was a real person. We're not making this up. It's not Alice in Wonderland type stuff. We're not creating a fictitious story just to create myth and values that people would embrace. He was a real person who dwelt on, in, in a real place amongst real people. And so he is, he, he's reaffirming, we knew Christ according to the flesh. But then, as I suggest here, Christ was fully human in that he had a role. In Luke 9, when Jesus talks to his disciples, he's going to talk about commitment to being a follower of him, and he first says, who do people say that I am? And they go, well, some, of you, some people think you're John the Baptist. Some people think you're Elijah. Other people think you've got to be a prophet because you seem to be teaching with power and you're doing miracles. All you've got to be a prophet. And then, of course, none of the, those are all sort of correct in part, but then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, who do you think I am? And, of course, Peter's right on the ball. You're the Christ. You're the anointed one of God. You're the the one that can solve the desperate need of humanity. And it centers on him. But then he says, well, but we don't, he may be a real person, but how do we really need to look at him? Well, the reality is, is Christ is far more than a prophet, and he's far more than a king, He's far more than a priest in some respects, and I'm not trying to diminish those things, but he is the savior of the world. He's the one that died and was buried and raised on the third day, and he is now exalted to the right hand of the Father. He is God in the flesh. He is the one that can bring redemption, and he's the only one that can bring redemption. And so as we we think of these realities, he says, we don't think of Jesus just as a real human being. We know him. To be the savior of the world and so his shift changes from just knowing him as a friend wouldn't you love to walk around and i mean we do the name dropping thing once in a while who's your friends well, i don't have many friends but i know jesus he's a personal friend of mine we went fishing the other day that'd be pretty cool we have all those people that we'd love to name drop to say hey we hang out with these kinds of people the disciples had the privilege of saying <laughs> we know jesus and the fact is, is now because they don't regard him just like that anymore, but that he's a savior, you and I can say the same thing. Who's the most important person you know? Well, many of us would come up with lots of people in this world that we'd love to hang out with that are kind of our heroes, whether it's sports or athletics or arts or business or whatever it happens to be. We, I think any of us would give a moment to say, Boy, I'd love to hang out with this person. But the individual who trumps all of that, at least in the mind of a true ambassador for Christ, He's going, hands down, the most important person I know is Jesus Christ, my savior. And yet, sometimes we don't function that way. He also goes on and says, we don't look at people according to the flesh anymore. In fact, his statement really says, when he says this, is the principle that started all the way back in the Old Testament. When, remember when Samuel was going to pick a king for Israel and he went to David's home and he lined up all the guys you know the dad lined up all the sons and he looks at a couple of them and goes wow that guy's impressive that's got to be the one and God goes uh hang on not him what are you kidding this guy looks like a force to be dealt with no nope, not him what about the next one he's pretty, I mean he's not as impressive as the first one but he looks like he'd be cool he's athletic he looks like he no nope, not him either okay what about the next one Man, you're turning all these guys down. These guys would be great. What are you doing? Well, there's, they, he's got another one around here that he didn't include in this thing, and that's the one I want. Okay, here comes David. And I could see Samuel. Really? You want this little runt to be the king? Are you kidding me? But see, the principle is is that we tend to always look on outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And God knew something about David's heart that was different than the most impressive of his brothers. And I believe when he's writing this, in terms of this particular statement, he's saying, an ambassador for Jesus Christ always looks past the outward appearance because they're ultimately concerned about the heart. The reason why you get a good ambassador for Jesus and they walk into a room and the first thing they're doing is not going, wow, that person's pretty impressive. They're dressed to the hilt. They're dressed for success. I don't know if I would go talk to them. Man, they look kind of intimidating. This person over here, well, they obviously don't fit in this group. That's not what an ambassador does. Ambassador walks into a room and they're going like, every single one of these persons could be headed for hell if we don't find out whether they've trusted Jesus. They don't get distracted by the outward appearance stuff. And yet you and I both know that can consume us. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had a person here on stage who was i was really looking forward to hearing their story, but they kind of made an assumption because they were dressed different than us that kind of assumed we would judge them and sort of ended up judging us because they assumed we were judging them. And, and it's so easy to get into outward appearance stuff. By the way, I think this, this community of faith does an amazing job looking past the outward appearance to care about the heart of people. You need to know that. But an ambassador for Christ doesn't get distracted, and yet our whole world is built on those distractions. The resume of your skills and talents and bigger and better Social media hasn't helped us at all. It can be a fun place to see things that people are doing, but it also has become a platform for people to create a portrait of how they want people to see them. And we spend so much time and energy trying to give this image to people so that they'll like us or be impressed by us, so we'll make a difference, so that we can sell product or whatever. And it's not all wrong. But one of the dangers for us is that we get so caught up in impressing people on a worldly basis that we've lost sight of what it means to be involved in the greatest venture in all of eternity, and that's being ambassadors for Christ. And if we spent as much effort and passion and energy into being ambassadors for Christ, I bet you in two years we could fill this building with new believers. So the heart of this thing becomes difficult because it's right at the heart of our struggle. Because we are all broken, we all have dysfunction and baggage, and we want people to like us. We want to make a difference. But if we shape that around the successes defined by the world, we might have a great success in business or athletics or whatever we're doing, but it could be at the cost of being a great ambassador. So he says, as he follows this up, we don't look at anyone according to the flesh anymore. He skips over making, talking about what I did in terms of unbelievers, and he jumps right to believers. So that if anyone who is in Christ Jesus, they're a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, all things are new. He's basically reaffirming this sad that because Christ isn't just a human being, but he's the Savior and Redeemer, the substitute sacrifice that satisfied the wrath of God, he can change the trajectory of our life. And he takes us being lost and separated and isolated from God and finding success in all the wrong places on an earthly level and he can change us to know that we've got a family that's grounded in Christ and that we've got an eternal destiny that has hope and joy because we're going to be with Christ. And so we've been reconciled, and God then gives us all the resources we need in order to live a life that's godly and and, and holy. And that's the struggle that we're all in. Not that we've got anything perfect. I mean, I, I I don't even like that term. I know it's in the scriptures, but when a person comes to Christ, we all bring baggage. And this statement here, when we're a new creation, doesn't mean, oh, well, I'm perfectly healed of all my stuff and I can walk around and be perfect. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that I've been delivered from one mode of existence under the domain of darkness and God has transferred me into a new kingdom that has a new authority and new resources and now I can start learning how to live in a way that honors God. It doesn't mean, I I have people quoting this verse saying, oh, all things are new. Well, therefore, we can just forget everything that I've done in the past, and I'm going to act completely different, and you need to give me the freedom to do that. I don't think so. If you've got enough collateral damage in your life, it's like a family that adopts, let's say, a teenage boy into their family who's had a really rough background and it's been full of drugs and abandonment and those things. You can put him in this new house with new resources, he's got a brand new bed, a room to himself, and you may find that this kid still steals from the very home that he's living in. He's got all the resources in the world that they'll give him the things that he needs, but he still keeps stealing. He might still keep lying, why? Well, he hasn't learned how to live in this new environment, and that's what happens to us as Christians. It doesn't mean, oh, well, we put him in this house, all of a sudden he's perfect. He's not going to steal anymore. He's not going to lie anymore. Of course he's not. And the more we learn to live under the love of Christ, the less we'll have the propulsion to do that kind of stuff, is to act the way we used to. And so he has this new creation that goes off in us. And the old things that pass away is that old life. I'm not victim to it. I'm not trapped in it. God has set me free. That's what Galatians 5 says. It was for freedom that Christ set me free. Stand firm in it. Live implicitly trusting God and walking by faith in his promises, and God will set you free and continue to help you find healing and freedom in the way you live. But then the perspective of of this also I think, touches on unbelievers, and I mentioned it a little bit, is when you walk into the office on Monday or Tuesday, what do you see? Do you see people who are a pain to work with, or do you see people that need to know Jesus? When you go to school, do you, do you see individuals that you just sort of have to work with and be together with and are in the same classroom, or do you see an opportunity that maybe every one of them doesn't know Christ and God's placed you there for a reason? Many of the reasons why many of us never share the gospel is because we're so distracted by external things and they're bigger and taller than I am. They look really impressive. I don't feel like I'm worthy of hanging with these people. That Those become all kinds of reasons why we never end up being great ambassadors for Christ because we're more afraid what they think than what God has said is true about us. And so it brings us to this point in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 where He says, All this is from God. This is the the, the priority of being an ambassador is this ministry of Christ that he's already begun a long time ago and that's the ministry of reconciliation. But he says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then he explains it. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, In other words, that simply means instead of carrying out instant justice and judgment, God's going to hold off on that so he gives everyone an opportunity through his ambassadors to hear about the gospel of Christ. To give them hope that there's something that can give their life more significance than their job or money or their social media page. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, Paul's using the word us. Some people would suggest, well, he's just talking about the apostles. He's writing this to the Corinthians. He's including them in this process. Any person who claims to know Christ as their personal savior ought to have the storyline in their own life of how they came to Christ to simply be able to share it with someone else. I think we ought to try to equip people as much as we possibly can to answer questions, to deal with problems, to interact on different issues with people because those are the things people bring up. But you know what the problem has been with that? A person comes to Christ, and often they're the best ones to go and tell others about Jesus because they haven't learned all the clutter that we often get into. But the, but the, but the issue is, I'm all about training and equipping everybody. That's why we get together. But we, we've made it such a monstrous thing now that if you don't have four degrees and six different lessons about how to share Jesus and answer these many questions, we go, uh, I can't do it. Now, I've often used the illustration my uh, son and his wife are expecting their first baby, our first grandchild on our side and the first on theirs in October. You don't need a, a, a degree to say, hey, we're having a baby. You don't have to go through six lessons. It's like, hey, we're pregnant. We're gonna have a baby. And there's a lot of people who have complicated the idea of being an ambassador to the point that it's like, well, that's impossible. I can't learn all this stuff. I can't know all this stuff. And literally, it's like getting married. You know, someone gets engaged. What do they do? Let's keep it a secret because we really don't. We're not. You know, we're not really excited about this. Let's hide it from people as long as we can. And and we'll and some people elope and do that kind of stuff. But generally, it's like who do you tell well we could tell our parents you want to do that are you sure you want to tell your parents that we're like really excited about getting married no you're right we shouldn't do that that that, that, that might make them happy or excited or something we wouldn't do that wonder if they don't like the idea well too bad we're pretty excited about getting married and, and there ought to be a simplicity of the reality if we really understand the salvation and value it it's literally like saying listen do you know Jesus he changed my life And we've got to be careful we haven't complicated this thing to death so that now we've got all the excuse in the world not to be a good ambassador. And so they, they, God has given us this reconciliation, but you'll notice when you start back in the earlier verses in verse 14 and 15, the question is, how do you know you're a good ambassador? How do you know you're going to carry this out properly? And this is kind of the crunch part of the text. Notice what he says. For the love of Christ controls us. This is what compels us. Because we concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him, uh, for their sake, he died and was raised. And so the motivation for a true ambassador in Christ is the love of Christ. And you can look at it two ways. I mean, one should be sufficient objectively, it's the love that Christ demonstrated to me by coming to this earth and literally being sacrificed on that cross because of my sin. You know, we tend to generalize it, the sin of the world. Sometimes we need to get down to one-on-one and go, you know what, if there was, if the, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a mind game, but sometimes we need that because we're so limited in the way we think. I wonder if there was no other person in the world and it was just me and Jesus died just for me on that cross. You'd say, well, would it really be necessary if it was just for you? Well, yeah. See, we, we, we sometimes don't value it because we project it to the, all the bad people, and I'm part of Jesus' family, but I accepted Jesus when I was six, so I don't feel the weight of my sin. But the key here, he says very clearly, is that the compelling reason of being a good ambassador is the love of Christ. Not just what he did for me, but if I've truly embraced it, and the love of Christ really shapes my values and my priorities and what I really believe, those people are gonna be your best ambassadors for Christ. Not those who see it as a duty, not necessarily those who feel obligated, not who have good intentions, but only those who are truly compelled by the love of Christ. Now, there's lots of people that become Christians that never become ambassadors. And the reason I believe it, and and it's what I already talked about, well, I don't know enough. I don't have enough answers. I don't understand their religion. I don't understand this problem and how to respond to it. You know, I can give out some cliches, but I don't know how to have real dialogue with people. You know what? I want to suggest to you, and this is the difficult part of this text, I believe the number one reason that if we're not a good ambassador or never become an ambassador is because we're not being compelled by the love of Christ. We either don't understand it or we're not embracing it or it's not shaping the way we live, but he says it's the love of Christ that compels me. And I'm convinced if it isn't the love of Christ then all the external things that we look at and are distracted by and my own abilities or lack of abilities will always defeat us in being a good ambassador. And I've had to come to terms with the reality that the reason I don't share Jesus with people more than I do is because I don't love them the way Christ does. And I'll tell you, people will give us hundreds of reasons to not care. God gives us one, and it's Jesus alone. And I I think at least we've got to be honest that at least one of the key components, in spite of all the things that we think we can't do because we're weak and we don't have the information or anything else, is the one that always gets loved out is, do we really love the world the way Christ loved it? And frankly, if we're really honest, there's times we've got to come back and say, I just don't care. I don't love these people. I don't love the world the way Jesus did. And it's the, probably the primary reason why we never become good ambassadors. Why we don't share it with our friends and our neighbors and the people we go to school with and work with because we're way too distracted by the externals and whether they'll like us or whether they'll accept us or whether they'll spit on us or reject us. So how do you know whether you're really being compelled by the love of Christ? Well, I think being an ambassador means I've got this ministry of reconciliation and I I wanna, that's my best hobby, that's my greatest love, that's my greatest passion, that's the thing that gives me the greatest thrill in life Because the alternative is, well, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. If God wants, i saved. <laughs> Good luck. He'll you, figure out how to do it. But the text here says that those, if the love of Christ controls us, it's that those who live, who've surrendered to God through faith in Christ, may no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. And I've had, through my lifetime, I have to come to Jesus on this text a number of times because it's kind of like, you know what? Frankly, the reality is there's lots of times I'm living for myself, not for Jesus. I got too many plans, too many goals, too many things I want to accomplish, too many ways that I want to be successful and leave my imprint. I want to leave my own legacy in terms of what I'm accomplishing. And it's and I'm, you know this, this is like fine if I can get to it, but it's not what drives life. So the evidence that the love of Christ controls us is that I don't live for me, I live for Jesus. And if he has entrusted me personally, and us as believers with the ministry of reconciliation, that is the the greatest privilege we could ever have. It may not set any world records in the Guinness book, but I'd rather have a bunch of names written in the book of heaven that says, God's grace and his spirit work through Brad, and these individuals are going to spend eternity with Christ because Brad was willing to finally give up his self-directed life and willing to just step out in faith and share Jesus with someone and so the Spirit of God change their life. That's the legacy I want to have. Because God's given us this ministry of Reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Here's what I want to suggest. If the world and the things in your life have crippled you so that you've never shared Jesus with anybody, that the last time you did it was like 20 decades ago, or it's just not of interest to it, I want to encourage you that we have a God who is deeply compassionate and loving. We're his children, that's not going to change. Be reconciled to him. Just say, God, even if it's Lord, you know, I mean, if I'm honest, I'm not allowing your love to shape me very much at all. And I'm gonna confess that I've tried to live for myself rather than for you. I've put my own label of success and legacy on what I want to accomplish in life and being an ambassador. I I love being a Christian because I've got all the hope and security in the world, but being an ambassador is just like not attractive to me. And so I need your spirit to do something in my heart and my spirit to help me value your love so it compels me to do something that I won't do on my own. Or maybe it's just a matter of saying, God, I've got neighbors that I've known for years, and I've never taken the time to get to know them enough so I could share Jesus. I've been too busy, they're too busy. Whatever it happens to be, you've worked with someone for five years, and you're hoping they'll guess that you're a nice enough person and ask whether you go to church or something, but it hasn't happened. I, uh, some of you won't know this person, but September 5th, 2006, Katie Couric, she was a news anchor, uh, many of you may not know her, literally made headlines and set TV history where because she did her debut on this day back in 2006 as the first solo female anchor on a newscast program. It, uh, she used to be uh, a co-anchor with, on the Today Show. Uh, she ended up replacing Dan Rather, who's you probably what some of you won't know about. But that's the thing that made headlines back this day, back in 2006. And my point in bringing that to your attention is that it's amazing how much effort people put into to break new grounds in our culture, to make a mark, and to change the environment, and to make a difference. And in many ways, there's nothing wrong with it. She didn't do anything wrong. This is her professional career in terms of what she's doing. But I hope that in terms of our travels, that we don't get so hung up in making history and making the TV news or getting something on Facebook that gets X number of views to it, that we've lost sight of being ambassadors for the greatest person in all of the universe. That he's called us to the greatest privilege we could ever have and that will leave the most unmistakable, eternal mark in all of history when the gospel changes one of your family members or your neighbor, or a cousin, or a, a friend you've had from high school, or someone you work with. And the question is, does the love of Christ really compel us? Have we really allowed it to shape our values and what we're doing? Maybe you're watching here this morning, and, or you're sitting here, and you're kind of going like, wow, I've tried to be a good person, I'm not even sure I'm reconciled to God. And I want to encourage you with all of my heart to consider that God gave up the greatest sacrifice and that which was most precious to himself so that you'd have the opportunity to respond to his great love by surrendering to him and putting faith in Christ. And if you haven't done that or that you need to be reconciled to him because I'm living more for me than for him and being an ambassador, I encourage you to take a moment to do it. Come and talk to someone that can pray for you to say, there's stuff in my life I just can't change. I need the Spirit of God to make those changes, but I'm willing to open up my life so he'll do it. Would you consider that this morning in terms of a next step in being an ambassador for Jesus Christ? Father, we, you know, Lord, we know how much at times we struggle with this. You know, fortunately, you've given people around us that if we were thinking of an ambassador, this would be the person that would come to mind because they, we've made the excuse that they have the gift of evangelism and that they're just a different personality than I am. It's inspiring and yet it's terrifying all at the same time. And yet, Father, you don't want any of us sitting on the sidelines just cheering. This isn't about our spiritual giftedness or how we build up the body. It's about the love of Christ reshaping our lives so that we trust you enough to step into the world of other people and communicate the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Lord, just forgive us for our self-centeredism, our narcissism, for just living for ourselves and not for you. But how thankful we are that we have the security of what Christ has done to come to you. And today can be the first day of our journey in learning how to be an ambassador. Thanks for your goodness and your kindness. Give us a love, the love of Christ, to fulfill the mission of Jesus in our sphere of influence. And for this we pray in Christ's name, amen.